also Docker. I've been using Docker a very varying amount since way back when it came out and it was very hype. Around the time Node.js was very hype, like the early, early time when Node.js was very hype. And then I just poked at it and then I probably used Vagrant instead uh, with VirtualBox and stuff when I needed something, something to sort of reproduce a development environment. And I never really got into Docker and I never really cared about Docker at that point. And then I worked for a number of years without it. And then I switched careers a little bit or rather left that company. And now there's Docker everywhere. Do you use Docker? I use Docker. We use it at work. I never use it for my own stuff. So yeah, I guess that says something. Uh, we use it at work to get a consistent production environment. Maybe we could win something to get a consistent development environment too. But we kind of get that because we all are running a decently new version of some Ubuntu derivative and we use ASDF instead to get uh, reasonable versions of things. Uh, it even works for Node. Yeah, yeah, I've found ASDF to be, to be nice for that. It's not 100% on all environments all the time and I don't think it has a good window story. It's fine across, mostly across Linux and Mac. Erlang on Mac can be a bit of a pain because compilation and OpenSSL and Mac weirdness. Yeah. And there's been a number of issues. Doesn't Mac have its own version of OpenSSL? That's kind of strange. Uh, yeah, by default, I think it does. But then there's also, uh, there's also Typically, you want a more updated thing or whatever, and you end up brew installing a version of OpenSSL, and then it's like, grab the right one, please. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a ton of trickery around that, and I've had a ton of issues getting particular versions at particular times for particular versions of macOS working. But otherwise, it's ASDF is pretty smooth, and I think they're working on. So KERL that ASDF leans on is working on delivering pre-compiled versions of Erlang, which would solve most of that. Cool. But yeah, that, and that's one of the good cases for Docker is, is sort of reproducing a development setup. But most companies I've worked with don't use Docker entirely for for development and i've heard the argument that you should be and like oh just just go for it it's going to be much more productive and da, 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 da. but anytime i've poked around with using docker more extensively for something local i've been annoyed either because the database ends up being slower so postgres is quite slow on top of docker from what i understand and then there's I don't necessarily find it more convenient than just installing. Yeah, and it's because it's your development environment. You set it up once, hopefully. Yeah. And uh, then you just run with it. Yeah. 
So actually, when I set up the development environment for the current team, I did set up so so it by default will run, and I actually do run Docker for setting up Postgres because I want to ensure that we have the correct version of Postgres and not lean on whatever the OS provides because we ha- we have people developing across Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. Wow. So Windows subsystem for Linux has been a, a good help there, WSL2. Yeah, that's good stuff. Seriously good stuff. Yeah, it helps a lot. So I find Docker quite useful on a regular basis, but I never enjoy working with it. Yeah, same here. It's like a super annoying, super finicky, weirdo DSL uh, that has very particular requirements, tends to... Uh, dump crap all over your machine that you have to clean up manually at some point and like it's just a very it seems like any process which involves building with current devops tooling to me seems like it's it's an arduous slow iteration where it's like oh try this and then check the logs uh for some random ID that you were assigned, uh, and you can see that it failed because of this. Okay. Yeah. Are you a grumpy old man now, or is this some objective? It's like, but <laughs> view on this. Th- there's a ton of old grumpy old men that use this stuff and think this was the good part of of DevOps, I guess. No. So I try to be open-minded, and I think part of my annoyance is just. Like, I don't ever have a real reason to get good at Docker because I don't, I write one Docker file until it works and then I stop writing the Docker file and I never revisit it. It's like setting up a development environment. Yeah. Until it breaks and then, then I have to fiddle with it and maybe it's a small change or maybe it's a rewrite from scratch because something important changed. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are, I, I want to explore the Docker domain more. And I want to explore it in three ways, I think. We'll see if I get to three. Oh, three ways. Three ways. Enumerating. Go for it. Yeah, the first way is to... Uh, back to roots. Docker is working on the C group subsystem, I think, of the Linux kernel. So I want to work just with that subsystem and see if I can understand what it does. Hmm. That's the first part. Down to the metal. Uh the second part is to use Packer a lot more. It's a tool from HashiCorp, I think. And it's, I think it was first made to create uh, virtual machine images. And now it can be used to create uh, Docker images too. Okay. And I have been using it successfully. It was many years ago though. Because I... I I just couldn't understand how to write a Docker file. <laughs> I don't know why. I, it just didn't work out for me. So that's the second thing I want to explore. And the third thing is to use Nix and Nixos more to see how painful or nice it is to build doc, uh, Docker images using uh, Nix. So if I was of the blogging inclination, if I was a blogging man, I would probably write a series of blog posts on this, but now I ain't, so 
you'll never get the conclusion of these three things. <laughs> you ain't and you ain't gonna. Indeed. Or maybe I could do some blogging, I don't know. Maybe I can tell every <laughs> maybe I can tell you about this and you can write a blog post about it. Yes, with my copious amounts of writing time. Yeah, I know you got you got hours and hours just lying around uh, <laughs> yep. in your place. Littering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The problem is they're all broken. My daughter stepped on them. <laughs> <laughs> Try to eat them all. Like how how she eats a cucumber, the middle first, and then she throws it away. Oh, that's a power move. Yeah. <laughs> Slice a cucumber is like eat the middle part first. Not super fond of the the green stuff. Throw it out. Yeah. Yeah. So Docker is good for setting up development environments, and it's become this interchange format for for deployments and stuff. So we do have, so for for the product we're working on with the team, we're building Docker images as a delivery artifact for fly.io. And they take the Docker image and they convert it to fire a Firecracker micro VM thing. Cool. And they run that. That works, that works well enough. It's uh, the whole song and dance for creating images doesn't sort of spark joy for me, but it it's also funny to me because people tout Docker as a great way of sort of abstracting away the differences between systems. And then we're on GitLab and we're using the GitLab CI for CI and CD. And that's sort of built on top of docker so if you want to run a docker file on their ci you end up doing what's called docker in docker which means you lose all your cache (laughs) because cache yeah there there are limitations to running docker within docker yeah and suddenly it's a pain in the neck and slow and we ended up setting up our own build server that we run a gitlab runner on so that we can tell it like, oh, we want a shell a shell execution runner for this part. So when we do Docker things, we run that sort of raw on that host. And that host can then build up a good Docker cache. And we get, we get instead of like a 16-minute deploy, we get a five-minute deploy. Oh, that's worth a lot. Yeah. And there, I... Every time I try to use Docker for things that people tell me it's fantastic for, I'm less impressed than I think I should be if it was that good. <laughs> but it is at times a good abstraction. Like I recently used it for... So I was trying to pull data from a fly.io Postgres and that one didn't match the version of Postgres I had locally so I couldn't use PSQL. Mm-hmm. But I could pull a Docker image for the correct version, tell that to run the command. (laughs) I mean, I had to send a bunch of flags to make it work correctly and uh, nicely. But it meant that I didn't have to install an extra version of uh, Postgres. I could just make that call. Uh, I could just pull down that container and make that call 
via Docker, which is neat. It yeah. gives me access to essentially any binary that's in Docker, and that's almost all of them at this point. I wonder if you could have used ASDF to get the exact version of Postgres you wanted. I don't know. I haven't looked if ASDF has sort of a Postgres thing. I thought it was mostly for managing programming languages. Postgres is many programming languages. It happens to be a... I suppose it it would be possible to, to do it that way. Yeah. Oh, well. And like that's useful. And I get that if you're doing Kubernetes, what you want is to be able to treat all applications as, eh, something, there's something going on in there. Just just bring it up. <laughs> and then you need all the buttons to be in the standardized places for starting, stopping, etc. Yep. And I guess that's probably where containers are great, but I don't do any of that. Indeed. Another quite nifty way to use Docker is to use Google Cloud Run or something like that. We do that for some of the front-end stuff. So, uh, but there's many layers of abstraction that I don't know if they are really needed. On the other hand, when we, it was easy to set up so that it builds everything needed when we push to main branch. So, and then everything just deploys. Okay. Which I guess is one of the good parts of having a somewhat standardized format. Yeah. So there are definitely advantages. I think I'm a little bit disappointed that it's it's not something nicer. <laughs> but I guess yeah. that's also sort of the case with Git. But with Git, I was at an impressionable age when I learned it. So it works the way I want it to work because it was great at the time. Well, Git was never supposed to be nice. If if it's in the name, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was supposed to be extremely powerful, but not nice. The nice parts of Git are the parts you never use. Uh, they are the parts, uh, the data model is yeah. nice, but you never use it. While all the commands and flags and stuff, they aren't very <laughs> user friendly. You just have to memorize them. I think of the same of uh, Emacs or Vim or Perl for that matter. Yeah. They aren't made to be nice. They are made to be very powerful for the pe people who use them every day. Because if you forget how they work, you're <laughs> well, you're on your own. You need to restart. And I guess Docker is similar. I I don't know it well enough to argue whether whether the underlying sort of system is nice. I get the impression that it's Eh, uh, could be better, could be worse. But it definitely does have a touch of that finicky power tool <laughs> about it. Yep, yep. But it also has a desktop app that makes me want to do murders, which is <laughs> not great. Uh, Indeed. That, that's on Mac OS. Uh, it has some Electron garbage. Wow, yeah. I, I think another thing with Docker uh, that... They have found a local optimum. Uh, so it's it's not where we should land when time goes to infinity. Mm. But it's quite useful right now. And that's I can respect that. That's cool. Uh, because that means that the next generation of DevOps people will have something to work from. And hopefully they will say, what is this garbage? 
I can do better. Uh, and then builds in something that's actually better. Uh, so that's one point of it. And I, I think it all will turn out quite well. The other point is that you're, you've been talking a lot about people being very hyped up about Docker and happy about it. Isn't that one of the big problems? The hype rather than the tool. And probably in setting expectations. Yeah. What is it? Expectation is the something of the other. Yep, absolutely. Uh. <laughs> uh, isn't it expectation is the death of joy? I don't know, but it sounds cool. I want to start a metal band called that. Expectation. <laughs> yeah. They're not called expectation is the death of joy. They're just called expectation. Absolutely. <laughs> they expect everyone uh, to know what a brutal brutal name that is yeah uh maybe death of joy is a better metal <laughs> metal band name but it's like naming your metal band the last 10 percent and expecting everyone to know that that's the true the true meaning of a death march <laughs> trying to finish <laughs> the last 10 percent that will take 90 percent of the time <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh well uh, so, what was your, what has your experience with Vagrant been back in the day? Did you enjoy it? No. Were you as disappointed? Uh, mixed. So it was good to be able to run a ton of VMs and uh, provision them with Ansible and all of that stuff, and like quite useful. But it was also a finicky mess when you got down to it because we we had to run a ton of things inside of it and yeah yeah it's like typically i still just want to run the thing locally for for sort of sane performance like i i've spoken off and on to gerhard lazoo he's the guy who set up the infrastructure for for changelog yes exactly that podcast or that media empire yeah and the He's super, super into cloud, cloud native DevOps. And like he has a very nuanced view of it. It's not like he's, he doesn't, he, <laughs> he's still talking to me. So he ha clearly hasn't dismissed uh, uh, sort of uh, the curmudgeonly approach of local development and normal, uh, <laughs> normal servers. But he's very excited about for example, having your development environment in the cloud and doing things like using things like uh, GitHub's VS Code in the cloud thing. I don't remember what they call it. It's not the Copilot. It's the it's the actually useful one. Yeah. And he's excited about that prospect. And I like that idea as a compliment, where it's like, oh, I'm on a weird device. Uh, I can actually do some coding from from my web browser sweet yep. but i don't want it to be my daily driver because sometimes the internet goes out yeah. and sometimes things are annoying and sometimes the internet is slow and sometimes sometimes uh, a data center a little bit off from you just stops routing you correctly <laughs> i i don't really want to rely on the cloud for for my for just getting coding done it's okay that cicd requires it because that's sort of part of getting it out there. But I don't 
really like the idea of put everything in Docker, put all your Docker's in the cloud, put all your editing on there. But I can see how how sort of Docker and uh, Dockerifying your your apps really really enable that to work better. And having there are advantages like if you manage two hundred people and your entire dev environment is is a Docker setup. It shouldn't matter too much what device your developer is on because it's like, yeah, can you get all the containers up? Okay, no, then let's then let's look at why one of them isn't starting. But once things are up, everything should be the same. Yeah, for everyone, which is important when there's a ton of you and when there's a ton of containers because someone fell down the microservice rabbit hole. Yeah. But I guess it's it's la di da. There's trade offs. It depends, etc. But <laughs> indeed, I guess one of the better things to come out of Docker was that containers became a thing and containers became standardized. So I've been curious to try Podman, which is Red Hat's version of running Docker containers. Yeah, and is it Podman that's good for development and things like that, local stuff? And it I hear it's good need... for everything, honestly. Oh, cool. It doesn't need root anyway. Yeah, that might be the case. It yeah. also, I think it might also be a little bit more finicky to do good port forwarding with, partly because it doesn't, from what I hear, it doesn't do what Docker does. And what Docker does when you deploy it on a server, and it's like, yeah, I set up my IP tables, this, I have to allow list any new port I want to open. Well, Docker adds a few extra chains. Yes. And those chains essentially bypass your firewall. Yes. You know, a long time ago, when I spoke about this database... The MongoDB thing? Yeah. Yeah. It ran on Docker. And I suppose that could happen with... No. It's it's a very Dockery thing to happen. Yeah, so that was a that was a sort of perfect storm of two different bad things. I I don't remember. I think it was the MongoDB Docker image shipped with open ports and a default password or something. Yep. Because it was meant for development. Yeah. Uh, and someone was maybe a bit naive when they s- decided how it would work. They like developer experience first. This should be easy. All right. And then someone puts that on a server and starts it up and they're like yeah but but everything's firewall these are just internal ports right right <laughs> no 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 <laughs> those are listening globally and you are inviting traffic in uh, by default yes bah everything would have worked so much better with the sqlite <laughs> yeah just run it internally use the lib so and and if we haven't used Docker, we could have just put Mongo on the machine yeah. and run it and everything would have been cool. Yeah. But that's not the future, I guess. Or we could have run it on a virtual machine on that machine and it would have been cool too. Yeah. Having worked now with, with uh, Docker in a few different projects, one thing that slightly bothers me is also... Like this is both a good and a bad thing because it's Docker introduces an extra layer through which all your configuration must pass. Yep. And 
there are a few different ways of doing it. It's like, okay, if you have some compile time config that never changes, you can sort of compile that into your image. Mm. Uh, it might be configuration to your runtime or your programming language, but it's not configuration that you ever tweak when starting the container. Okay, yeah, then you can compile it in. But any anything else you want to pass in should ideally either be loaded at runtime or more likely passed as environment variables to Docker. And if you need to pass sort of data files that can be sourced, suddenly you're dealing with mounting things off of disks or, or finding another approach. But yeah, everything needs to pass through an extra layer. And the good part of that is you need to decide what goes and what goes where and how, which means that you probably build a better awareness over time about like what's your compile time requirements, what's your runtime requirements, what's your configuration like, what do you actually want control over. But it also forces all of those decisions on you rather early or you ship something where where the configuration is essentially accidental because it just turned out to be whatever you you threw up, threw in there. Yeah, I wonder how does this compare to spinning up a VM somewhere like on Linode for instance and hacking away. I mean that depends on what you're doing with your Docker container. <laughs> yeah, but but you need some kind of configuration on that it's I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah. I I have this uh, game convention management software. <laughs> Made it sound even more boring than it actually is. That it's on a VPS somewhere, and I configure it by having a, a default configuration file locally that I use when I develop. It's a Django project, so it's in it resides in project settings.py. Yeah. Very good. And that file imports production settings.py, which is unique for every deployment, which has all these new database passwords and all this stuff. So that's how I do configuration management or configuration at all there. But to make it even more, to make it simpler, I, I have, have never bothered to make this a very fancy setup. Uh, so Postgres is on the same box. And everything I need is on the same box, yeah. which removes many of those uh, borders stuff that naturally occur if you do Docker uh, the way it's supposed to, with one container per service. If you don't do Docker as it's supposed to be done, it's much easier. <laughs> Just like I put Postgres and Python and Django and whatnot on this, in the same image. And there's something beautiful about that. And I suppose everyone who knows anything about Docker uh, will become very upset when they get my brain waves now. <laughs> I should really wear my tinfoil hat when I think these thoughts. I mean, databases in Docker containers make me nervous overall. Yep. Just because, like, <laughs> screw. Now there's a Docker volume thing to screw up between you and that database exactly or between your database and and uh, storage essentially it there's not really much between to speak of there it's supposed to be not not much of an abstraction at all 
but yeah yeah it it's also like if someone really screws up a command they can just blast that database straight away yep i don't know if i'd ship the database in the docker container unless it was sqlite where where you essentially don't ship the database you just create it when you need it and then you maintain that file but yeah i don't know compared to a vps like putting docker setting up a server installing all the right things for like all the dependencies for docker then installing docker and then using docker to set that up is not a pattern i'm very keen on it's not something i i intend to use because at that point i don't see much of a win unless your application comes with a ton of complex uh, dependencies which the docker image can take care of yep then that can be a win and you're in an ecosystem where you can remove many of those dependencies yeah it's if you if you build a python application you quite soon get a redis you get a yeah, that's one. <laughs> uh, yep. Stuff. Uh, but but with Elixir or Erlang, you get Elixir or Erlang. That's it. Yeah, and you can compile everything to a release and then you don't need to even ship the runtime or you don't need to install Elixir or Erlang on the target. Exactly. You just move the release on there and it has the runtime. Yeah. Can SQLite be bundled in that way? With Elixir too. Yeah, I mean, if you if you use XQLite and Ecto SQLite adapter, I mean those. Then you use Ecto to go. Oh, start up my database, and it's like, yes, I will create that little file. <laughs> You're welcome. Nice. And then you run your run my migrations, and it's like, yes, I have populated the file a little bit. <laughs> Very good. And then uh, then you can just. Pretend that you have a, a full-blown SQLite, or rather a full-blown uh, database, and yeah. that you're doing a SQLite. And that's a very nice low-dependency sort of deal. Yeah. Now, I did choose Docker and Docker Compose. So Docker Compose is the canonical way of bringing up a bunch of containers that belong together and hooking them up to each other. Yep. And I chose those for a client recently because... The objective was to be able to run an on-prem service. So essentially hand a code, a piece of code to someone else's ops people and let them set it up. With So we made an install script that essentially configures, asks a few questions, uh, lets you configure Docker Compose by doing that, uh, sets it up, starts it up, and... A bunch of a few different scripts for like stop reload. I mean, you could make make all of those calls via Docker Compose yourself, but we wanted sort of the correct way of doing a few other things and an update for one. And that the reason to do Docker Compose and Docker there is that I can, like, no one would blame me essentially for assuming that ops people can can figure out or know Docker. Indeed. It's it's a decent enough sort of lingua franca translation layer where like, oh, we're giving you Docker. Yep. <laughs> if you don't like it, bring it up with the Cloud Native Foundation or something. <laughs> and I think that will work well. It's not in uh, an on-premise deployment right now, so I haven't, I haven't had to deal with the consequences of that choice. But the, the implementation is there. 
And as for what that needs to do, I think that's a pretty good choice and it's been okay to work with. Didn't spark joy necessarily, but it also does solve a significant chunk of problems with delivering new new containers and all of that. Yeah, there's another way to handle this problem. I think it was there was a movement within the Java community uh, to use this this idea, and then it kind of moved over to the GoLang community, and I don't know if it has moved outside of there but the idea is to have uh, fat binaries where you compile everything into the binary so when it's done you get in the java case you get a jar file that you can just put on a server and go jar like java jar or something and it runs and it has the apache server or the http server is the name uh, like tomcat or something and all that and even the database and everything is in there. Yeah. And I find that idea really nice. Yeah. I, I really want to do things like that. And I can tell you that it has traveled outside of Golang in the sense that uh, it's there are solutions for it in Elixir. Cool. They're a little bit hacky in that they they take a release and they hide it inside of a binary and they <laughs> have to actually decompress it in a hidden folder to run it but because there's a there's a fair bit of data inside uh, the like the erlang runtime system erts yep. has to be in there but essentially they make it an elf binary and they pack some gzip uh, data on the end or something and if that's not extracted it extracts that so the first startup is delayed for extraction a little bit. Yep. But uh, so the first one was Bakeware, I think, which does that. And then there's been one where they, I think they're polishing it further and providing more more sort of options and stuff, which is called Burrito. <laughs> nice. So you roll up your Elixir application inside a burrito and yeah. then you get a binary. I can get behind that name because, as you know, burritos are monads and monads are burritos. There's even a paper about this. It's a very tasty paper. I thought you were going to say that you could get behind it because food is tasty or something. But no, you you had to bring it to monads. I had to bring it to monads. Can't leave them out. Yeah, I really like... So that's probably my primary reason for why I've off and on consider learning Golang. One is that there are a ton of cool projects that use Go, and I would like to be able to use them, modify them, integrate them, and that's difficult if you don't know Go. Indeed. At least if you want to integrate them, as in be able to use them from Elixir or something. But just that they they have that whole compiled to a single binary, and they... Like Go shares a fair bit of sort of philosophical and ideological ground with Elixir, I feel, where it's a fairly pragmatic approach to getting things done, building software systems. And it values concurrency, it values distributed computing. I don't think it has distributed primitives in Go itself, but it's so enmeshed with sort of cloud native and stuff that it 
like I think every consensus protocol is available. Yeah, it depends a bit on what you count as uh, distributed computing. Yeah, it has channels and stuff with uh, which kind of looks a bit like the message passing in Elixir if you squint. And that's for their concurrency and parallelism, right? Yep. But I don't think it is as easy to set up a world-spanning mesh as it is in Elixir. No. And Go targets a lower level a lower level of implementation. Yep. You're supposed to be able to implement a lot more low-level stuff in Go. It still has a garbage collector, but... Like Elixir and Erlang are fundamentally high-level yep. dynamic languages. And I like that. <laughs> I think that if you do go correctly, the garbage collector shouldn't have that much to do. Throwing garbage around is frowned upon. Yeah. And uh, I guess Docker, is that also Go? It's Go. Yeah. Because Docker Compose is Python. <laughs> because why not <laughs> i think that's just uh because python is everywhere so yeah it's it's available to, by default then it's essentially a way to just sort of bootstrap your your application setup it's like what's that to uh, ansible mm. like you write everything you need in yaml uh with this interesting dsl and the first thing you have to do anywhere is to install Python, and then you can run Ansible. Yep. <laughs> it's, yeah. That would be nice to have as one binary. I've been super curious about playing with Elixir and doing some deployment-related stuff. Where, So there are a ton of SSH-related tools built for Elixir. There's an SSH kit library that I think is interesting. Cool. Uh, which allows you to perform a bunch of SSH operations over in Elixir. And I'm like, okay, but can I make this package up a release for the appropriate target and ship itself to it and then <laughs> and then start deploying itself? Run through all the checks so we know that it feels well. Yeah. And then start taking traffic. Yeah, I want to have that too. Yeah. I think Fabric is probably python's most simplistic approach to that it's a really nice way of it did include a dsl i think which is maybe not ideal yeah but it it has a bunch of of tools for for just hopping onto a server and SSHing things <laughs> calling commands and running things i know we used fabric to bootstrap ansible <laughs> <laughs> So that was the fabric file hopped in onto the server, set up a deployment user and a few other things. So give give it the host name, the username, uh, the root password, and it would hop onto the server and set it up for normal deployment. Wow. Which included installing things like Vim and Git and a few other things that were just conveniences. Yeah. And then Ansible could do the rest. But yeah interesting you have to start somewhere and that's that's always like okay how how many dependencies do you not want to need yeah should i start from bash should i go back to just i think this use case could have been good with bash or maybe even building something that built a vm image which you could upload depending on what you were hosting on of course 
Yeah, a VM image would have probably have been a good idea. Yeah, building that locally or on some server somewhere. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess this problem space is quite large. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, I guess, like, if I if I was more into trying to solve problems with Kubernetes, <laughs> then I would probably be mostly consider sort of Docker as a as a mostly solved problem and a necessary thing and it's mostly fine because then i would probably be doing it often enough that it doesn't really matter and one nice part about it is it puts a boundary around the application in a way that means like okay but maybe the infrastructure is broken and the application is broken and then nothing works uh, and then you can fix the infrastructure and then you get the application. It's like, oh, the application is still broken. And then you fix the application and that, then everything works. And then when either part breaks, you only have to fix the one thing. <laughs> yeah, that's good. All right. Something's broken with the application because we haven't changed the infrastructure and it's it's operating fine and everything looks good. But we we can see that there's a problem in the application and the application can... Uh, can be iterated on separately sort of from the infrastructure. Whenever you scale something up, you add more and more abstraction layers. And I think part of my hesitation and part of my skepticism about Docker is just that I don't like these layers. <laughs> I want to keep the number of layers low. I want to practice your your practice of uh, removing routines, <laughs> your process of removing processes. Yeah, the process garbage collector. Yeah. Absolutely. Like the layer garbage collector. Yeah. <laughs> like if if we we have this layer of indirection and we're only using it in one way, then maybe we don't need it. Maybe Indeed. we can remove it. Yeah. If we have a system that is designed for being able to scale horizontally uh, with a sh- with just a shared database, or across multiple hosts, but we never really need to scale across multiple hosts, then maybe we can make it simpler. Maybe we can just use SQLite. Exactly. Uh, like, What can you win there? Well, latency for one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then it's like, oh, but we need high availability. But like, do you? <laughs> <laughs> How high? <laughs> because if you're running a single Postgres thing, you're not highly available. Unless you've really, really dug into setting up your Postgres or paid someone to set up one and then sort of know what happens if that when things fail, you're not necessarily highly available. No, you need at least two Postgres. And having two Postgres is non-trivial. Yeah, that's probably also one of those things that are slightly disappointing as a developer, realizing that... Just distributed, good distributed databases aren't. <laughs> yeah. Acid compliance goes out the window when you get <laughs> this distribution. Yeah. It, it, like CockroachDB seems like a very good, good option, but it also has some serious requirements and consequences if you screw up some of those sort of requirements. And I'm sure they're doing their absolute best to, to make it clear and easy to work with and all of that uh, it seems like a really cool system 
and it seems like a good approach if you want a widely scalable SQL database. And it makes me happy that it's Postgres wire compatible. <laughs> yep. But I have had no reason to use it and I can only barely wrap my head around the consequences of using it and what they can potentially be because I don't think uh, you get the exact you don't get the exact same transactional guarantees. You get something very close, is what I I've come to understand. Yep. Do we do we have we ever even won anything if we just start turning everything into distributed systems before before they have to be? Probably not. Uh, but we could have fun using our not that good distributed system skills. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a I'm a sucker for for building things unnecessarily complicated if I if I get the chance. <laughs> so, don't say this to your clients. But if I'm building a distributed database at this point, I would have, of course, build my own. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, <Yeah. laughs> sense of adventure, gotta have it. Totally. <laughs>